Well, good morning, Whitvale family. I'm so glad that you've joined us on a sunny day for this 9 a.m. live stream service. And a shout out welcome to our many guests from here in the city of Ottawa, across Canada, and even globally from around the world. We are so glad. We honestly are so glad that you've joined us today. Well, I trust that you're ready for God's word. We're in this eight-part sermon series, and today is the last sermon in our Clarify Sermon Series. And we're wanting to move from the place of confusion to the place of clarity. And today, for just a couple of moments before we come to communion, I want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about generosity. And I want to challenge you and I to live a life of generosity, to be generous. So I want you to get your Bible out. I want to turn, if you would, to the classic passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus said these words, Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Well, friends, this is a familiar verse, and I think today we're going to learn some things about this verse that we never saw before. In fact, there's some things in this verse that maybe you didn't think it said, but I think there's also some things that, that, that maybe we didn't fully understand. And so today, for a couple of moments, I want to bring some clarity to this amazing verse. So I want to share this message in three parts. First of all, I want to talk to you for a couple of moments about the promise Jesus made. And the promise begins with give, and it will be given to you. And to understand that, you've got to understand the rest of the verse, but the promise is simply give, and it will be given unto you. So let me give you four things. Number one, let me give you the context of this verse. And the first thing I want to share is that this verse is actually the part of a shorter version, which is Luke 7, 27 to 38, of the longer version, which is found in Matthew 5 through to Matthew chapter 7, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to get the longer version of the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But Luke chapter 6, in these 12 verses, gives us the shorter version. Let me read to you verse 27 down to verse 38. Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you. And we're going to discover in this shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges us in our relationship to people, especially the difficult people. In verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 29, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the classic part. That's the key part. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. And Jesus calls us to raise the bar. So he says in verse 35, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Verse 37, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, 
and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then, verse 38, our text, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there is the context. But then there's number two, the culture. And I want to illustrate to you the culture. And I want to talk to you today for a couple of moments about Middle Eastern culture when it came to buying stuff in the marketplace. And so I want you to write this in your notes. In Jesus' day, grain was sold by volume, not by weight. So let me illustrate this to you. In Jesus' day, grain was sold by volume, not by weight. Now, in our culture, you people know this, that in our culture, when you buy like a bag of chips and you open it up and it looks like it's hardly even filled and you want to take it back to the store and say, I got ripped off. And then you learn that in our culture, things are sold by weight, not by volume. Just read the outside of the package. It's sold by weight, not by volume. But in Jesus' day, it was sold by volume, not by weight. And so I want you to picture the market in those days and the farmers would come there and they bring their grain or their wheat or their corn and they they put it on a mat and, and the people would come to the market with their bowl or their dish and they would want to buy some grain and, and then they would haggle with the farmer and they would they would once they decided what they wanted to buy, they would haggle over the price, which was based on the volume. That's why Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Because in that day, you would go to the market, and you would give them your container or your dish, and they would give back to you some grain and a good measure. It wasn't based on weight. It was based on volume. And they would haggle over the price. And once they settled on the, on the grain and the price, the farmer would get his little scoop, and he would start pouring it into the dish that you gave to him. And he would fill that dish up, and he would fill it almost right to the top, and once he, he got it to the top, he would pat it down. He would press it down. He'd press it down as much as he could. And then he would put some more in, some more grain in. And then he would, then he would shake it so that he could put a little more in. And then he would get a scoop again. And he would put some more in. And he would fill it right to the top. And as it gets to the top, it would start overflowing flowing over the edges of it and and he would be wearing this 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 coat thing and he would be wearing this this apron thing that would have pockets in it and as it's overflowing it would pour into his pockets but jesus gives a little twist to it he says give and it will be given to you a good measure and so Jesus is talking about generosity. You give to him, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, not into the lap of the one who sells it, but into the lap of the one who gives it to you. So that illustration, I think, illustrates to us a little better what was going on in Jesus' day. It helps us better understand this scripture because in Jesus' day, Grain wasn't sold by weight. It was always sold by volume. And so Jesus picks up that analogy and he talks about living a life of generosity. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure. <laughs> Pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap. So number three, what's the conclusion? When you give, God actually gives back to you. That's what our text says. Our text says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
So the measure that you use, if it's stingy, we get back stingy. If we're generous, God is generous to us. So if the measure that we use in our generosity is stinginess, God responds back with stinginess. But if our measure is generous, God responds back with generosity. The fourth thing I want to share with you is is the comparison. The comparison. And I want to take you to the scripture of compatibility from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, down to verse 11. And Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he he gives some similar teaching. He says in verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give, which you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you could be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There's a lot of scriptures I can give you, but it seems to be when you jump into the New Testament that the tithe, which speaks of 10%, is not the ceiling of our giving. It's the floor of our giving. So as a New Testament believer, it's not like all I can give is the tithe. No, God says you can move beyond the tithe. You can give above the tithe. You can step into the realm of generosity, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing into your lap. And so, friends... We've looked at the context, the culture, the conclusion, and the comparison, the promise that Jesus made. But let me take you to number two. And for a couple of moments, I want to talk to you about the principle behind the promise. What is the biblical principle behind the promise that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 6? Let me share with you six things. Number one, everything Jesus says rests actually in the character of God. And the character of God is referring to who God is. And so the truth of the matter is that the principle is that the truth that is given rests upon the character of who God is. So that takes me to number two. What is the character of God when it comes to generosity? Here it is. He is a generous. He is a benevolent God, a benevolent, a generous God who really loves to give good things to his children. Isn't that true? God is so generous, and he loves to be generous to you and I. Let me give you a scripture from Psalm 103, verse 1, down to verse 5. I love this psalm, because the psalmist gives us an indication of some of the generosity of God in what he gives to us. And the psalmist says in verse 1, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praises his holy name. Verse 2, praise the Lord my soul and forget not his benefits. And then he lists some of the benefits that God gives to us, some of his generosity. Number one, he forgives all your sins. How many people are grateful that God is so generous that he forgives 
all our sins and heals all your diseases. How many people are grateful that in his generosity, he gives us healing? And some of you are watching right now and you need healing in your body. We're praying that Jesus would be your healer. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Verse five, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. There's a number of things of the generosity of God. Why not take a couple of moments today and write down some of the benefits that you have because of God's generosity? Is it peace? Is it patience? Is it victory? I'm sure that you could come up with a long list of the benefits of God's generosity to you. Well, John chapter 3, verse 16, that classic verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but of everlasting life. Friends, let's be honest. If all God did was give his son, and if all Jesus did is give his life for us, he gave it all. But you see, friends, this principle of generosity is rooted in the character of God. He is a generous God. I want you to write this down, number three. And I know it's true. You actually can't outgive God. You just can't. When you give, he always gives more because you can't outgive God. That's what we learn in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, because it's his nature to give. And he will always, write it down, he will always give more than we give to him. We think we're outgiving God. No, no, no. You can never outgive God. He always gives more than we give to him. But then there's number four. God will actually be no one's debtor. He, he's not going to be in the place like, like he owes us. No, no, no. God will never be anyone's debtor. Never will be. But then there's, then there's number five. He actually, in this text, in Luke chapter 6, he invites us to trust his word. He invites us to put our trust in him, give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap. You see, friends, God actually challenges us in this verse to, to trust him, to fully trust him with our finances, fully trust him with our life. And then there's number six. He challenges us to put him to the test. Who gives first? Imagine God looking down and say, you give first. And then you look up to God and say, no, 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 you give first. And then God looks down to you and said, I already gave when I gave you my son. So we're responding back to him because he gave first. And he's challenging us to put him to the test and to live an ongoing life of generosity. That's the principle behind the promise. But then lastly, there's number three, the truth. The truth that is behind the principle. So let's just scrape a little deeper in our final moments here. And let's take a glimpse at the truth that is in behind the principle. And the principle is really about the, the goodness of God. The truth behind this principle is all about the, the goodness of God. Simply, God is good all the time. 
Evelyn and I were pastoring in the greater Toronto area, and I used to love in a Sunday service when the worship leader or myself would say, God is good. And the church would shout back, all the time. Then I'd say, all the time. And they'd say, God is good. So as you're watching today from your home, you're watching from your television or from your electronic device, do you really believe that God is good all the time? Let me scrape a little deeper. Let me take you to number two. The fundamental question of life is this. Is God good all the time? And can he be trusted? Because today we're talking about living a life of generosity. And you're like, okay, Mark, I get the teaching. We got to give and it shall be given unto you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. And I'm doing my best to live out this principle. But life has dealt me something raw and real and difficult. I'd imagine that there's a number of you watching right now, right now, in this very moment, and you're going through a real difficult, hard time. Maybe there's someone in your household that's got disease in their body. You've been asking God to heal them, but they've not had healing yet. Or, or maybe there's been a tragedy that has happened in someone that you know where they died unexpectedly, and they were so young, and it doesn't seem fair. Let's be real, church. How can we say God is good all the time when life doesn't go the way that we think? You see, friends, the goodness of God is not dependent on what we walk through. The goodness of God is dependent upon God knows what he is doing. I've said it so often that when you can't trace the hand of God in your life circumstance, you've got to learn to trust his heart. And if you can discover that God is good, even in the worst that you're walking through, you've learned a key lesson about the character of God and friends. God is good all the time. So how does that relate to Luke chapter 6, verse 38, when we talk about generosity? Uh, let me just give you some final truths. Number three, generous givers, and I, I know this is true because I've seen it, are not necessarily the people with the largest bank account. No, no, that's not, that's not always true. Because I, I, truth be told, there's some people with large bank accounts and they're stingy. They're not generous. And sometimes the people who have the least financial resources are so, so, so generous. So generous givers are not necessarily the people with a large bank account, but the people with a, a large view of God. And they know that God is good all the time. And they know that God is a generous God. And they want to model their life after who God is. So because God is generous, they want to be generous. Oh, that's the kind of life I want to live. And I'm glad that I have the honor to lead you as a great church because, Woodville, you are a generous church. Yesterday, it was exciting to be in the parking lot to see almost 70 cars drive in, church families driving in, and I got my mask on. You put down your window. I talked to you. It was so great to see you, and you were picking up a food hamper that was delivered to almost 200 homes in our area of struggling families. 
we contacted several schools and some community organizations in, in our area, and they helped us discover 200 families in our neighborhood that needed a blessing in Woodville. I'm glad that you gave so financially generous that we could pack a food hamper for worth about $40 and deliver it to 200 homes, and because of your generosity, approximately $8,000 worth of food was given to homes that needed a blessing. Isn't that exciting? I shared with you a number of weeks ago that because of your generosity last year, we as a church were able to give outside of our walls over $800,000. That boils down to just shy of 30 cents of every dollar that came into this church went outside the walls. That's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. One who lives a life of generosity. So church, church, the bottom line is generous givers are not necessarily the people with the largest bank account, but it's the people with the largest view of who God is. When Holy Spirit gets in your life and you begin to understand how generous God is, you want to live a life of generosity. But then there's number four, and I need to share this. When we give generously, we do so because we truly believe God will reward us one way or another. I know what some of you would love this verse to say, give. And it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your life, poured into your lap to the measure you use. It'll be measured to you. And you're, you're kind of wondering and hoping if I give him money, I give him a dollar, he'll give me back $10. <laughs> That's not what the scripture says. You see, some people misread this scripture and they think if I give him grain, I'll get grain back. If I give him money, I'll get way more money back. No, the truth is that can happen. And sometimes the reward he gives you is dollars more than you gave to him. But, but I have a theory on that. If my motivation is give to get, it will dry up. But if I'm giving to get so I can give more, in other words, if I live my life with an open hand, not a clenched fist, the more I give out, I've got a theory, the more God's going to pour in so that I can give more outside of the walls. But some of you know what I'm about to say is true. Sometimes what he gives back to you when you give money is not money, but he gives you answered prayer. Or he gives you a peace that passeth all understanding. Or he gives you victory in your life. Or he gives you more joy. Or he gives you more freedom. God determines what he will give back to you when you give to him. But I have learned that I have to trust him, knowing that when I give to him, he will give back to me in the way that he chooses to give back to me. In fact, I look at it this way, that even when I choose to live a generous life, even if God didn't give anything back to me, which I know he does, I've come to the conclusion he's already given back to me when he sent his son, Jesus to die on a cross for me. But church, let's not get trapped into some unbiblical, imbalanced prosperity theology that thinks if I give God a dollar, it's going to come back as $10. Leave to God how he will 
return back to you. So I want to share with you now number five. And I, I know this is true. Generous givers understand the shovel principle. Do you know what the shovel principle is? It's simply this. It simply is this. I shovel it out and God shovels it in. I love this. And he's got a bigger shovel than I do. Come on, man. Isn't that true? You shovel it out and God shovels it back. And he has a way bigger shovel than you have. I want us as a church to keep on being generous so that God will shovel more back into this church so we can shovel more out to bless the community and to bless the world because I know, I know we can't outgive God. I want to share with you a story and then I want to close with a prayer. And the story is based on a guy named Maxie Jarman. And you may not know the name, but back in the 1960s, that's long before many of you were born, Maxie, Maxie Jarman started a shoe factory uh, or a shoe company in the United States of America. And he was a born-again believer. And he gave away lots of money. He was really generous. In fact, there was a season of time that he was working alongside in the Billy Graham Association. In any ministry he could find, he would bless. He was so generous. He understood the scripture gift and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap to the measure you give, it will be measured back to you. He got that scripture, and he just kept on being generous. Well, there came a point in his life that he went through a real hard, difficult time, and he literally financially pretty much lost his shirt. And things just went really south. It became really, really, really difficult. And he had to rebuild his financial self back. And one of his friends came to him and said, and said to him, said, said, Maxie, do you ever regret all the money you gave away? Like, come on, man, you, you lost most of your, like, do you ever regret it? You lost most of your wealth. Did you regret all the money you gave away? And look at the screen. Here's the quote. He said, I only lost what I kept for myself. I love that. I only lost what I kept for myself. I got a feeling that this guy understood that, that God is a generous, benevolent God. I got a feeling he fully understood, understood about the goodness of God. And Holy Spirit germinated Jesus' teaching on generosity in his heart. Now, just before we go to communion, we're going to worship in a couple of moments in a song about the goodness of God. But I, I want to leave you with this prayer. And I want you to, to watch this. Look at the screen, this, this prayer. Lord Jesus, teach us that we only keep what we give away. I love that. Teach us, God, that we only keep what we give away. We've tried so hard to hoard things, only to have them slip through our fingers. We've tried stinginess, Lord, and it, and it didn't work. Teach us to be generous. Teach us to live with tender hearts and open hands. We thank you that we have everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything we need and more besides. Open our eyes to see what you're doing in the world. Help us to give as you did, bleeding and dying for us. Amen. My prayer for you and I today individually and for your family and my family and for our church family is that we would 
live a life that is so generous. And I'm convinced that what will help us with that is when we understand the goodness of God. Come on, Woodville. How many people know God is good all the time? And all the time, God is good. Even when life is tough and even when we're struggling, even when we're weary, even when we're in this COVID season, even when we're like, I can't wait to get back to church and I'm so lonely and it's hard. God is so good. And just before we celebrate communion together, would you stand and would you worship God together as the worship band and team lead us and the goodness of God. Let's worship together and then we will celebrate communion together. And I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hand. The moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God. In my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I Of the goodness Come on, all my life And all my life You have been faithful And all my life You have been so So good With every breath That I am goodness of God and your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I surrender now I give you been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God oh I will sing of the goodness of God, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. We're going to celebrate communion together, and I trust that you've got some crackers or some bread or some juice. We're going to celebrate church family communion together. How many people are glad that God 
the generous giver sent his son Jesus to this world for you and for me and for all people on planet earth. How many people are glad that Jesus freely gave his life, went to a cross and died for your sins and my sins? I don't know about you, but I am so glad that he did that. And before we celebrate communion, before we partake of these emblems, I wanna ask you this question today. If today was the day that you died, and you stepped into eternity. Do you know that you know that you know that you're ready for heaven? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Was there a time, was there a place, was there a moment that you personally asked Jesus to come into your life? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't buy your salvation, you can't earn it. It's freely given and it can be freely received. You simply need to ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Say, I repent of my sins. I want to invite you to come into my life. I believe God is speaking right now. And I believe there's people right here in Ottawa, in the greater Ottawa area. And I believe there's people across Canada and around the world. You're watching right now in this live stream, nine o'clock service. And your answer to my question is, I, I don't know if I'm ready, but I want to be ready. I want to go to heaven. I want Jesus to come into my life. And so before we partake of these emblems, I want to lead you in this prayer. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, I want you to join me as I lead you in this prayer today. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Today I've decided to follow you. I receive you in my life. I repent of my sins. I make my peace with you. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, man. Let's celebrate. It's exciting to see people give their heart to Jesus. And if that's you today, reach out to us. We will reach back to you. And I'd encourage you to go to our church website and sign up for our follow class. It happens online on Wednesday nights. It's going to help ground you in your new faith journey. We've got many who have given their heart to Jesus during this COVID season, and we're getting ready to have them baptized in water as a public profession of their faith in Jesus. We are so excited about that. But if you're watching today and you're like, I've got so many questions about Christianity, I'm not sure yet. Go to our church website and register for Alpha. Alpha is offered online. It's going to help answer your questions. Well, friends, I trust that you've got some bread or crackers ready. And I want you to get the little wafer or the cracker, whatever you have set aside for communion. Jesus one day was with his disciples in an upper room at the Last Supper at the Passover, just before he went and died for the sins of the world. He took some bread and he gave thanks and he broke and he said, this, this is my body. This is my body. The little piece of bread that I'm holding on today and the piece of bread or cracker that you're holding on today represents the body of Jesus. And today we are simply living out what we're called to do, to do this in remembrance of Him. And so even before we partake of this piece of bread and drink of the juice, could we bow our heads? I just want to offer a prayer of thanksgiving. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you came to this world for, for me, for everyone on planet Earth. I'm so grateful. 
And I pray today as we're gathered in our homes and as we're taking these emblems together that we would never forget what you've done. Thank you, God the Father, that you sent your son Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for us. May we never forget. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take the bread or the cracker and let's partake together and let's do this in remembrance of Jesus. want you to get the cup of juice that you have. Might be grape juice, might be orange juice or apple juice, whatever you found in your house. Might even just be water. But what you're holding on today represents his blood. Blood represents life. And I'm glad that Jesus gave his life for us. So Jesus held the cup that contained the fruit from the vine. He said, do this also in remembrance of me. Let's partake together of the cup of juice that represents the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just take a moment right in your home and just give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. You are so good. We focus on your goodness today. You are so good. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. For you are so good. Hallelujah. You are so good. With church family and guests, I'm so glad. I am so glad that you've joined us today. And I trust this morning that the worship that Pastor Brad and the team has led us in has been so inspiring for you. I'm so glad that all of our worship today has been focused on the worthiness of our God. He's worthy of all praise, amen. And I trust that the message that I've given you today about what the Bible has to say about generosity would stir your heart and my heart. And may you and I, and as a family and a church family, live our lives with open hands and open hearts. That we would say, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, over into our lap, to the measure we give, to the measure we receive. And may we model that generosity because we can never outgive God. Let's just keep shoveling it out, knowing that he's going to keep shoveling it back in. And his shovel is way bigger than ours. We can never outgive the Lord. Amen. Well, Evelyn, I love you so, so, so much. We really do. We pray for you. We look forward to the day that we can gather back on site and see you face to face. I don't think it's too far down the road and hopefully sooner than later that we can gather back here on site. But may the Lord strengthen you. May the Lord encourage you. And our prayers that you would have an amazing day and an amazing week. 